0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Extra Podcast, episode 264. This is Paul Siemens here with you, and I also have Pastor Kyle. Hey, Paul. How are you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. Good, good. Good. And
0: Jeff. Dr. Jeff. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Sorry. You have two two
1: pens in your
0: shirt
2: pocket.
1: One one is a highlighter, highlighter, and
0: one is a red pen. Is that for sermon preparation? But I thought red
2: pens were meant to highlight like to circle black things. So you there's a black piece of text and you circle with the red pen to highlight it. Yeah. What do you do with the highlighter then?
0: Uh, I just need two different ones just in case. You never know. You never, you know, never know. You never what? know the, the different types of things I need to be... You never know if whether yeah. you need to be highlighting something for else. I not I just found them. Else. Honestly, they were just sitting in here and I thought, oh, I left them in here last time I was here, so I'm going to take them back Good. All right.
1: So no big deal. I so... A... Um, I have a pen from the Abbotsford Police Department that I found at a baseball field oh, did that I'm you, using. Did you I, I find, find it? it did
2: you if, if, find if, it? If the police officer who watched this wants it back, dude, that's feel free to contact me. That's got to be, a, a, that's gotta be breaking the law. No, you, no, stole, just, you stole time, from no, the police no, 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 no,
0: Last time you were in the back of what the cruiser, else did you, what else did you steal? <laughs> you found
2: this, didn't you, Kyle? <laughs> Why are you hanging out in police cars,
1: Kyle? <laughs> no, it's, it's from a, a, a baseball field. Uh huh. Okay, so yeah. what else? What else is going on this summer? <laughs> well, in Abbotsford, we're
2: hosting the BC Summer Games. All Jeff, right,
0: Jeff, you have some kids. I this? have one
2: one child. My oldest son is going to be uh, playing beach volleyball. Mm, he signed up to play beach volleyball. He's playing with the boys. So you would you would think that no, you would think the BC Summer Games would require you to try out for such a thing, but nope, he signed up. You he just and, sign up. Well, they sent out an email saying, we don't have enough players to play from our zone. So a friend of his contacted him and said, you want to play? And Ethan's was like, yeah. Sure. So they're not going to win. I'm just going to say that Dude. right now. But they're going to have a good time the, playing. It's at Mill Lake. Yeah.
0: Mill Lake. They yeah. have a beach volleyball
2: yeah. And you made the total reference to Top Gun a minute yeah. ago, playing with the boys. Yeah. Yeah. Are Goose and Maverick yeah. going to be there?
0: Or are they going to nickname? Know? They should name themselves the Danger Zone, Their <laughs> team. <laughs>
2: they should yeah. absolutely do that. <laughs> Okay, is that the most awkward scene in all of nineteen eighties <laughs> filmmaking? Isn't it? Like, what is it there for? I don't, I don't understand it at all. Like, you, it's just two dudes with their shirts off flexing all the time, playing beach volleyball,
1: <laughs> and uh, I don't, with uh, yeah. I don't get it. It's just eye candy, isn't it, Kyle? I liked Val Kilmer better in Tombstone. Oh, he's way better. Oh yeah. I'm your Huckleberry.
2: Have you watched Top Gun since the '80s? Um, maybe once uh, in the '90s. Okay. I don't know if I'd like. It <coughs> as I want much you to. You know, I, so I want you to go. Like, I don't really want you to go watch it because that's going to kill two hours of your life. But look, if you have a chance to, you know, you got nothing to do on a particular day, you watch Top Gun, and about halfway through it, you'll think, "Why did I think this was good? Mm-hmm. This is a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. The acting is terrible." at every At every turn, it's terrible, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. for some reason, we thought it was so good.
0: You know what we watched we watched recently, and we were like, "Oh, this really is, isn't that good a movie, and that was uh back to the future yeah, I oh, no. watching on. That and, we were, and I was like, "No, this, that's this still is is good. really good." That's still no, the there's so much like innuendo through it. Oh yeah, like a lot of people my age that were like, "Oh, I'm going to let my kids watch Back to the Future," and yeah, then I like, watched it and I was like, "I'm not going to let my kids watch <laughs> Back to the
2: Future."
0: <laughs> the '80s had a lot of this. It did. There's uh, no just question so about it. So much over.
2: like, did you ever watch The Breakfast Club? Yes. Okay, the Breakfast At Club M-E-I. Makes, it makes no sense. <laughs> so was it <this> Saturday? <laughs> Larry this Nickel s- made it the last class. Yeah, you you watch <clears throat> The Breakfast Club? Uh-huh. It's just a bunch of pre pubescent teenagers being like f- no, they're fretting about well, maybe, but they're fretting about life. And they're just it's hey, let's make a movie about detention. Come on, man. <laughs> Pretty in Pink was the same movie.
0: <laughs> Didn't they both have Molly Ringwald? Oh
2: yeah. Where did she ever go? I don't
0: know. With she's with Tiffany somewhere. I remember don't know. Tiffany? She, I think we are yeah.
2: <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh dear. If you're listening out there and you remember Golly. the eighties like like we do, you're old. Just want you to know. But you know, think about it. Film has come a long way since the nineteen eighties. They would that, that Top Gun thing would not pass muster now. It would not. Nope.
1: I thought they were making a remake doing a remake of that. Oh or my
2: goodness. I almost want to see what they'd do with it, right? hmm Yeah. That's good times. A lot of
0: remakes. Ghostbusters got remade. So my, an 80s movie that gets remade.
2: My son's gonna be. Uh, he's gonna be Goose. He's gonna be the Goose of the Maverick and Goose. Nice of the Change Danger him Zone there. Yeah, yeah. At some point, he's gonna go up to the net and say, "Slider, you stink." Nice. <laughs> I gotta teach him. I'm gonna have to teach him all the lines from yeah. that movie, right? Good stuff. Should be good. Yeah. All they right. did a practice round just. To finish this off, they had yeah. a practice round against one of the other teams that's playing in it, and they mm-hmm. lost 15 to 1.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: At least they got one. Yeah, he, then, he came home and he said, you know, it's probably not going to go well. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, hey, I wouldn't, I'll be there I mean, to watch you.
0: I'm like, surprised yeah. that uh, there's a lot of communities in BC that have beach volleyball teams. Like no, they don't. Maybe Kitsilano. Like, maybe you have a few regions of like around English Bay. You have like like the West mm. End team and the Kitsilano team and the... But who, I mean... Prince
2: George has got a big beach volleyball community. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. A lot of... And Fort St. John? <laughs> it's a lot of... A lot of
0: beach. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we should probably get to a few of these questions that came in. Dude, Fort St. John, that's what those guys do on the
2: rigs. It's just all one big talk gun scene. What? Shirts off. Slider, you stink. Oh, you up think? at, the, oh. you up at Fort St. John? In the oil rigs. Yeah, man. They're soaked in oil yeah sand that's what you think what do you think the oil sands are they're playing beach volleyball on top of them there you go all right so let's look
0: at uh, a couple of these questions uh the first one um so over the last number of years there's trinity western's been involved uh in trying to open up a law school
2: and this is such a Big left turn. Oh, dude, I know. It is a left turn. How do we segue? (laughs) Um, So speaking of (laughs) Sam, (laughs) there are beach volleyball courts at Trinity Western.
0: No uh... (laughs) no segue here. It's just straight into it. Okay, so we've gone from very jovial times to now a little more serious. We're talking about uh, Trinity Western's wanting to open up a law school and being challenged by different law associations uh, across the country, B.C., challenged them a while ago, and the government uh, sided with, or the, the sorry, the, um, the court sided with Trinity Western here, that, they, that the Law Society had to accept graduates from that program. Uh, Ontario has been a different story, though. Ontario recently said that the Law Society of Ontario does, uh, does not have to accept graduates from the Trinity Western program. So that so, means they
2: can't pass the bar. Correct. Correct? Yes. They can't be lawyers there. They can't practice law there.
0: Yeah, so the, the Law Society of Ontario has the freedom to accept or deny based on the school they attended. Because
2: and, the reason, the, and the reason that they don't want to accept somebody from Trinity Western is because Trinity requires students to sign a uh, community covenant that mm-hmm. has, has in it... Most of the document apparently is pretty okay with most of these folks. It just has in it that you can't... You can't engage in premarital sex, mm-hmm. and you can't engage in uh, same-sex sex. Right. As while you're attending Trinity Western,
0: correct. Yeah. So yeah. that
2: it's that language, mm-hmm. it's the limiting of sexual expression yeah. by Trinity Western among their students that has caused this uproar. If they were willing to drop that language, they would be okay. Right. In terms of the, be okay in terms of getting their their. Graduates into right, yeah,
0: yeah. So the the sexual revolution that we've seen in the culture, uh, the moral revolution is is uh, overtly affecting uh, Trinity Western in this way. So how should Christians respond to this kind of thing when um, there appears to be a double standard that affects our religious rights and freedoms in 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 terms of the the schooling option, at least, like uh, as Canada being a pluralistic society, a, a society that uh, calls out and says that we are tolerant, we're tolerant of all views and things like this. Yet we've got a, a school that is Christian that holds a Christian ethic. It's not nobody's forced to go there. If you want to be a lawyer, you don't have to go to Trinity Western. There's dozens of other schools that you can go to, but. The courts in a number of provinces now are saying that no, actually, uh, you can or the the law societies can discriminate against graduates from Trinity Western. So how does how does this work within our culture, and how should the church, how should Christians respond to this?
2: Can we start by just decrying how how dumb this is? Mm-hmm. When I say dumb, I mean like the how how silly it is for l- l- people lawyers of all people to argue that someone who graduates from Trinity Western University is not capable of being fair-minded in their treatment of of people from all different kinds of backgrounds. Oh, it's ridiculous. Right, it is ridiculous. Uh, every lawyer who lives today has got different opinions than many other clients on many different issues, oh. morally and otherwise. So for them to, to drop their biases is part of their job, okay? So... I just don't understand why it is that they're raising up a standard for Christians saying, Well, there's no way that you can overlook your own viewpoints regarding sexual ethics when you're trying to defend somebody for example, who might be gay. like that's their fear and mm-hmm. I think it's outrageous. it's so dumb mm-hmm. So like on the face of it and all throughout it, it's just it's silly that we live in a society that that believes that Christians are so stupid. That, and so unprofessional and incapable of participating in the public square that they can't drop their biases in those places?
1: Well, I think they've seen examples where Christians are kind of stupid in the public square, so they have yeah. a precedent to see that not handled well and and winsomely and, and graciously and kindly. And the critique uh, against Trinity Western isn't hey your faculty won't be able to teach well or you won't be able to provide the students with the right education the critique is that because they sign the code of conduct they will necessarily be biased against a certain segment of the population which right. is which is a sad commentary on the culture's view of of christians yeah absolutely but that's a
2: different question what we think of the issue in terms of how much merit it has and whether or not we would agree with the ontario courts or whatever those are, those are different issues than the, the question that's being raised here, which mm-hmm. as I understand it is, yeah. like, what, is, what should the church do about this sort of stuff? I mean, what should the approach of the church be? And I'm gonna even broaden that more broadly to a, a secular culture. How, how, do, how do we engage in a culture like ours? Uh, do we demand a right? Uh, do we fight for them? Do, does the church, How much does the church say? And, and more explicitly, like uh, not explicitly, but more more broadly, like, do we talk about politics more? Should the church hmm. be talking about politics? Churches in the United States in the South, I remember years ago D. James Kennedy. You remember his church down? Oh He was yeah. like known as kind of America's political pastor before he passed away. Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida, and so mm-hmm. he was like every sermon was about like the application was here's how this works out in politics. Here's how you ought to vote. Uh, that
1: sort of stuff. Should that be our approach? What? What do you think? I think I want to get on the table the fact that um, Christians can speak into the into the public realm as well as any other realm and every realm. If Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth and he is king because he made the world and he's going to come back to restore the world at, at one point... Uh, in between the creation of the fall, and his final restoration, he does still have authority. So, um, nothing is off the table as far as a possible topic. But the question becomes, like you raised, Jeff: How should Christians uh, engage, and what should their posture be within within the culture? So, would
2: you say that just to interact with you about that first statement, though, would you say that it's wrong for someone to you know play the Amish card, or kind of the when I first when I first heard about Mennonites? okay, was when I was going to a Bible school in Austria, and I met some, and the first picture that came to my mind was Amish, right? So, so take those that kind of picture of the old Mennonite who separates themselves from the culture, from the worldliness, the Amish who separate themselves so much from the worldliness. Is that a legitimate approach? Should, is that faithful? Can you do that? Or are you saying, Kyle, that no, actually the way that, that the Bible would teach
1: me to engage... Or, or is it either? At different times, there may be different types of reactions or responses. Um, uh, D.A. Carson, who um, pastored in Richmond, taught at um, Acts Seminary at Northwest Baptist for a, a bit, and has written prolifically on all kinds of different topics. He has a great book called uh, Christ and Culture Revisited, where he looks at this interplane interaction with with the church and Christians in the midst of a culture, and part of his takeaway from that is that depending on the type of culture that you're in, it could uh, validate a whole type, a whole a whole range of responses within that. So, there may be times when when Christians should separate themselves in a sense from the culture, but still I think be speaking into the culture and a witness to the culture um, by that. So, Amish people aren't necessarily people who don't use electricity, but can. Cook really good food. I when I grew up in New, upstate New York, actually I didn't grow up very far from an Amish community, and at first they seemed very very strange to me, and now I can see well what they're trying to do is is to to make a statement to the broader culture of that we need to be pure in our devotion to Christ. Whether culture understands that as their as their message or not is a, is another question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there can depend on the culture that you're in and the reaction you're getting from the culture. There can be a number of different types of, of ways to engage. But I think part of the, the two things you're wanting to keep in, in common is to be faithful to Christ and his call to, to love him wholeheartedly, uh, but also faithful in whatever kind of interaction and witness you do have to the culture of what it looks like to be a follower of the God who actually made the universe and made all cultures mm. as well.
2: So it might look different than... I mean, a Christian witness might look different. It might look as, in some cases, as removing oneself from the public square uh, in a sort of prophetic way. It also might mean engaging in the public square even more, where you, where mm-hmm. you seek, like, mm-hmm. seek to be a, a politician or a newspaper, you know, a journalist mm-hmm. or whatever, to, to be in those kind of culture-making capacities. Yeah. Um, both can be faithful. That's what I just heard you say. Right, right. That both and of those should, can be we faithful. And we should take yeah, advantage
1: yeah. of all the different ways by which we can be faithful. So, not take certain things off the table right away, but think about way God's gifted individuals, the way God's put people in different positions of of connections and relationships, and, and seek to to leverage those connections and relationships for the the good of the kingdom, the good of the gospel, the good of of justice, uh, the good of of being a voice uh, for Christ in those in those in those myriad types of contexts. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so um, another another place where they're going through this kind of challenge against institutions is California, right? Mm-hmm. Where the government actually has legislation tabled uh, right now that isn't hasn't been voted on yet at their at their state level, but where they will actually remove, I think, the accreditation of schools that well, you guys funding? might know this because this affects your alma mater, right? Yeah,
2: no federal fund no, no state funding will go toward. Uh, And It's not federal, it's state. No state funding will go toward a school that doesn't agree basically with California state's viewpoints on sexual ethics. Mm -hmm. So if you're Biola University, which is where Kyle and I did our doctorates, uh, you all of a sudden are in a place where uh, if you are a school that doesn't just train pastors—so if you're a school that just trains pastors, you're okay, because that's just for religious duties— But if you're a Christian college that, like Trinity Western, trains for business or, you know, the arts or whatever, then uh, you're training people for the public square. And if you don't agree with the state's sexual ethics, uh, then the state says, well, we're not going to give you any of our state money, which is a big deal because a lot of those schools are funded partially by state money. So that'll be removed and students who get what's called a Cal State grant, okay, or Cal State loans, so yeah, student loan uh, stuff that runs through the state of California, none of those students will be able to use that money for Biola or the master's degree or a or, uh, Fresno Pacific or whatever. You, you pick your Christian college. I don't know how many, there's hundreds of Christian colleges in California right now that have that viewpoint uh, or that, that are that way. So this is actually going to probably, if it's passed, it will ha- it has a real shot at killing uh, Christian education, Christian liberal arts education in mm-hmm. the state of California. Mm-hmm. The Christian schools will still be able to train pastors, um, but and maybe not for long, I don't know, but basically that's that's what the law is. So they're facing a similar kind of situation that Trinity Western is in many ways, although Trinity Western's in a better situation than they are because the Trinity Western's not being closed down altogether. They can still train teachers and all this, and the Canadian government's not saying any of that. They're just saying, look, we're not, we just don't think that you have the right to train lawyers. Or at least uh, to train lawyers, it's not the Canadian government. These different governments of the provinces. See, my thing about this whole discussion is, uh, I mean, there's a tension here because on the one hand, I want to say that you know the Apostle Paul, when he's given the opportunity to use his Roman citizenship to gain some kind of, I don't know, merit or favor, he uses it. In fact, he's being almost almost beaten. I can't remember what it was. It was Ephesus? I can't remember where it was in the book of Acts, but he, he's almost he's almost beaten, and he says while he's on the rack, he says, "Oh, by the way, I'm a Roman." And
0: this that, is, that, this is uh, Jerusalem. After was it? yeah, the, the 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 people are about to kill him. Here you go. The, the centurion picks him up, saves him. Right. And then they're gonna. Well, I can't remember what they're gonna do to him, but he's just like I'm I thought Roman he was citizen. on the rack. Yeah. Yes. And then they're like. He's like, I'm a Roman citizen. They're like, whoa! They, and then they realize, and they, they, they back off
2: because mm-hmm. they know that it's again. I mean, to do this to a Roman citizen is is to incur the wrath of the of the state. Yeah. Uh, so here in Rome, you had citizens had certain rights, and Paul is not averse to to using those rights for his for his benefit or the benefit of the gospel. Like, I think that's exactly what we should be doing. I think that the church should be behind Trinity Western regarding this whole issue and saying, look, you should be using every available method you have legally to bring about a good resolution for you. But the t- I mentioned attention because on the one hand, I think you fight to the death on that through political... I means. by you understand not violently, but yep. like you fight to the death for for the thing that you're... Mm-hmm. Because the government has given you the rights. But on the flip side, I, got, I mean... And I want you guys to correct me on this, okay? And anybody out there listening to correct me on this, but I, I don't think that the, a secular government is obliged to provide Christians or any group that they that they disagree with. I don't think they're obliged to give them some special right like tax breaks or uh, accreditation for the training, like this. I, I just don't think that the fe- the government of Canada. I, so another, I don't think we need to expect the government to do this. I think they're wrong by not doing it. I think that they're hypocrites by not doing it. But I I I'm trying to be realistic in some ways to say, well, I, you know, it's a secular government. They don't really like Christians, especially Christian right. sexual ethics, and so it, I, I'm not surprised. Right. And if you, we're you, go ahead. oh,
1: if we're if we yeah, if we're starting from scratch in the sense, does a political uh, entity, a nation, need to recognize Christians? No, but Canadian law, though, recognize the, the freedom of, you know, all these different freedoms that, that Canadian citizens have. On well, the value of
2: multiculturalism.
1: So, like, yeah, and so your comment that it it's hypocritical for them to deny Trinity Western this, uh, this ability in lots of ways. So so we should be calling them on that hypocrisy because by your own standard, you're not living up to the the ideals of multiculturalism and freedom mm-hmm. that what do you, you what, what do you mean by that, specifically—
2: when you talk about like the, the, the values of multiculturalism, what, what should those push
1: the Canadian government to do in this particular case? So I think they should, they should look at Trinity Western and say, yes, we already approved in 2001 or whatever it was that it's okay to live by this code of conduct as a Christian school and still train teachers for the public sector. So that's already been approved and passed by the Supreme Court as legitimate. So there's precedent there, and so now the the question. So is, you well, should, you
2: can be trained within your own tradition. In other words, right worldview tradition, and I'm using worldview there because it includes the secularist in it, mm-hmm. right? So you you can be trained in your own worldview tradition and serve in the common public square for the good of all. Right.
1: Right. And that, right. And so that's they've already being.
2: established that that's the case, and now these law court the the the. Law societies are saying, mm-hmm. no, 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 that's not the case.
1: Mm-hmm. But right, sh- so by their own standard, by their own, their own precedent of secular multiculturalism, this has already been approved in the sense that that you can live by that code of conduct within your Christian school and sign that and still serve well within the public sector. So this happened for teachers, and now the question is, well, can lawyers do that? Mm-hmm. Well, why, why, why couldn't they be? There, there's no... There's no um, Extra information or extra precedent. The only thing that's changed is the the cultural values that undergird all these multiculturalistic um, ideals. So the part of the question, when all these well, 16, questions do come 16, up, sixteen years, fifteen years have gone by. Yeah, is is to ask the the, the f- most basic foundational question of well, why? You know, by what standard? would it be good or bad for this to happen? And a secularist looks at the world and wants the world to, to live by secular standards. Everyone wants the world to live by their standards. Yeah. So what do you do when the tension happens? And so with um, what... Canada's doing with the, the lawyers in that law or that bar association, what the state of California is doing with Christian schools is saying, well, you can approve pastors for your own religious purposes that work you know, for two hours on a Sunday morning, but really have no other interaction with the secular world other than people that want to go there. You can, you can train the pastors and be quote-unquote bigots in that way, but you can't train anyone else so the, the the question is why by what standard are you basing that on what's the ultimate authority yeah, that cur- you're putting current, that on yeah
2: current current political and cultural winds yeah so
1: it has got to be the answer to that the secularist wants to divide religion as much as possible from the public sector and and locate it in in the church in the mosque in the synagogue in the place of worship and leave it there saying that you mm-hmm. can't bring that those ideals and those values outside of the religious right because sphere we're into secu- the public sphere
2: because we're secularists and we get to govern the public square this is the part that really incenses me is the is the rank hypocrisy in this mm-hmm in that they, they don't want to claim that they have a worldview or a religious commitment. They, they do. It's an atheistic, agnostic, kind of naturalist religious commitment. And they're saying that anyone who doesn't agree with our religious commitment and what it entails for sexuality, at this present moment, by the way, not three years ago, but at this present moment, and maybe not seven years from now, but if you don't agree with us at this present moment regarding all of these viewpoints, then you don't get to be a, a, you know, a card-carrying member of our public square. Mm-hmm. We, get to go, we get to hold you at the gate of the public square and say, sorry, you didn't pinch the incense to our Caesar, and so you don't get to come in and play. Everybody else who does pinch the incense gets to get the rights that we're willing to afford, right? Not willing to give them, you know, money, whatever, tax breaks, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's all mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. But it's just, to call that tolerant... <laughs> is absurd. To call it multicultural is absurd. It's not. It's 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 the rule uh, it's the rule by force of one group who currently have the power the reins of power. And if they didn't have the reins of power and someone were doing it to them would cry foul at every turn.
1: Yeah, you can be as multicultural as you want as long as the main culture to which you ascribe is secularism. Yeah. So I just in just... some in some point
2: point yeah, I I just at some time would like somebody to admit yeah 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 we we do we have all these religious commitments yeah we do we we don't call them religious because that would put us in in this you know in the pejorative cat in the bad category that we've been putting you in all these years so we don't call them that we have to call them, we're rational you guys are irrational religious people so but I just but, want somebody to claim to own own up to it yep. We're using our power and authority to do what we think is right for the culture at large, and of course it's right because we say it is. I would like someone to come out and say that, because at least then I would be like, okay, so you're not playing a game here, you see what I see, you're just willing to live with the consequences of it. But I think if you say that out loud to the Canadian public, people are going to be like, no way, oh, whatever, that so rides against the kind of make space for people attitude that is in Canada, wonderful make space for people attitude
1: that's in this country. Yeah, one an analogy, just to kind of maybe, um, bring some of these issues to, you know, to tie them together, is. I um, heard somebody talk about the seasons as a way to think about Christians' interaction with the culture. So in summer, you know, we're outside, we're doing BC games, we're playing, you know, doing all kinds of things outside, and that's a very warm reaction between the church and 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 the society at large. And that's that's those are good times. That doesn't mean things are perfect. There's lots of things to improve on in those times, uh, but there's a lot of agreement and a lot of commonality with with values and things like that. Um, but from that you go into a fall season where the, the the ideals aren't seen as um as integrated as much and there's a little more tension, which lead to a winter where there's this icy cold um, really rainy, dreary... You stay inside a lot. Yeah, you stay inside a lot. So that might be times when, when Pulled because back. of physical persecution as well as ideological persecution, where Christians might have to, by necessity, pull back a little bit from interaction, still speaking into the public culture, but maybe not as integrated in the public culture because of the way that they're being treated within that society. But um, God's God over all cultures, and he brings revival. And so spring will come after the winter. They and will. And, seen, and you seen,
2: see that happening in other parts of the world. Yeah, I so think China is a China, great example
1: yeah. where um, with the the rise of communism and the the Western missionaries being kicked out of China um, in the early 20th century, um, when the Western missionaries mean are non you know, Chinese. When people were able to go back in from the outside world um, to see the state of the church, they're actually really surprised and encouraged that um, the seeds that were planted um, before the removal of foreigners in China that they that they they grew that those those roots went deep in those seasons of persecution mm-hmm. under communism, and now there's more people worshiping Jesus on a Sunday in China than all of North America combined, which is really encouraging to, to think about that God uses even the winter times to grow uh, the roots of faith deep uh, so that we can go into spring where there can be more engagement and more um, declaration of justice and who Christ is within so the don't culture.
2: So get, don't get stuck in a moment is what you're saying. Yep, you know, Fight in the moment to do the best you can with what's set before you, but yeah, God, God is sovereign over the seasons. Yep. yep.
0: Yeah, so our culture, we might be heading into a season... Like that, right? Like, I mean, it feels like we're in that fall, probably.
2: It feels like late fall, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's (laughs) no no Christmas around the corner yet. Right. (laughs) The the
1: leaves are falling off the trees. Yeah.
0: Right. 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 It feels like the white witch is in control. Yeah. Um, So, but a lot of times in cultures when this kind of thing is happening, uh, God actually is working to um, purify his church. And so, uh, when we we need not lose hope because God is still working. Like Kyle said, uh, he he worked in China throughout the 20th
2: century to the point where there's so many Christians there now. Uh, so do you and, think, and he can do that here too? Do you think that maybe one of the things that we should do though is it affirm the sovereignty of God? That because the question was about the about yes. the church, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what does the church do here? Yeah. Well, okay. We 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 fight. We support institutions that are fighting for that thing. But maybe that's one of the biggest things the church can do, is to say. To remind everybody the wider framework of how God is working, to emphasize things about the seasons and say, look, we, we we are not caught up with just the moment or what's happened the last three years. God has been God forever, and he will be forever. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off at of I just was trying no, to say fine. that, like, it, it, just to, to answer the question mm-hmm. and as, as succinctly as possible, I think the church's responsibility is to remind everybody what's actually true, that God is on his throne, yep. and he will bring about his ends in his time. Yeah,
0: yeah. So for us as believers, um, even for those who are attending church regularly and things like that, um, when we're trying to figure out how to live our lives, how to engage with this, uh, some of us are tempted to walk away, and these kinds of things, how do we evaluate whether or not we're born again? Because that's, that's actually the next question we're getting Ooh, to. A somebody. transition. Yes. See, that was a segue.
2: Way to be, unlike
0: way. that one earlier, which just couldn't be. Yeah, yeah. But so, yeah. How do we know? How do we? How can we tell? This listener's wondering if if we're born
2: again or not. I'm preaching a sermon this weekend on that very question. Oh, just so you know. So we're That's into exciting. The, our so, Well, our sermon series we've changed. Remember, a couple of years ago, we our last. Year, I can't remember how long ago we had. The the congregation got to vote on what they wanted to hear. So this this summer from now until the end of August. It's what we want to say. Ah. Right. Preacher's, yes. preacher's choice. Yep. So it's what we want to say. And so one of the things I want to say, I get this question often. Like what it what is the I'd phrase it this way, what's the true nature of saving faith? Hm. So I'm I think that's what's meant when someone says Born again, right? Because that language comes from. Uh, is there John a particular text you're
0: going to be working on?
2: No, I'm going to work with several. Just so you know, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the ans- My answer, because which I'll state again, is that I mean, I've over years tried to consolidate it down into three Ps that I've shared in classes before. Uh, it's profess a true Christian is someone who professes something true, mm-hmm. somebody who practices it, and who perseveres. Kyle's mocking me by mouthing these <laughs> words because he's heard me say this several times in classes and other things like that. But I find this honestly—I I get this question constantly from people. Donald Whitney wrote this book in 1989 that's really helpful on this. Hmm. That I can't remember the exact title—is it what, "What What Does It Mean to Be a Christian" or something like that? But it's—it's a—it's a small little book where he basically is talk. He tries to deal with the question of assurance in it, like how do I know I'm a Christian? And he goes through the evidences of that. If you really want to bite off more than that, you should probably read Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards, which is what this is the question he's dealing with. How do I know whether uh, something, a warmth in my heart, is actually real and a sign that uh, God, I have loved God, or it, it's fake? It's a fake affection.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think the title is How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? There it is Donald Whitney and Jerry Bridges.
1: Yeah.
2: You can get it on Amazon. It's a good book.
1: Did they come up with the three Ps? No, or those did are you, my three you did Ps. That? That's original. That's No, that's it's just
2: after studying at seminary and then having to teach uh, stuff like this, I, I just noticed that a lot of these texts seem to fall into these categories. I'm sure it's not the most novel, easiest way. I mean, I, it's simple. It's three, so it's got to be right, you know? The Trinity, right? Link Whitney's got like eight or something like that, eight signs. And there are 12 signs, by the way, from... Um, Jonathan Edwards. Yeah, he's got like I think 12 he's false ones 12, then 12 yeah. true ones or something, yeah, which yeah. is a
1: great read, but it's really hard because of the, the language, you know, it's old. There's a book, English, but it's really, really good. There's a book uh, called
2: uh, Signs of the Spirit. Sam Storms. Sam Storms. Yeah. He actually kind of takes uh, religious affections and turns it into uh, like a book that modern people can understand. That's excellent. It's very, very good. But they deal with all of these. Cause I don't actually want to go into more detail because that means that no one will come to church this weekend. Mm, yeah. All these people are like, I'm not coming anyway. It's summer. But if they don't come, if they might sunny. miss out on
1: another power
0: failure. If it's sunny, I'm going to go play beach volleyball. Totally.
1: Play <laughs> Play it with the boys.
0: Play with the what? The boys. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. So you mentioned um, uh, being how he, he took this religious affections written by Owen. Is that
2: right? No, it's uh, Jonathan Edwards
0: wrote really yeah, sections. Yeah, right. And but he's taken it and put it into something more into modern, modern
2: language. It's actually a really good book. You'll find it. Right. it's very easy. He actually tries to stick to the argument, and he doesn't do word for word, but kind of concept by concept, he tries to convey what yeah. Edwards is trying to say. Right. Which is
1: Edwards' context that he wrote that book from and in is is I think really helpful to understand because it's not that different in one way than our context because it was in the in the midst of the Great Awakening where there's lots of spiritual fervor, lots of religious energy, and lots of um, lots of charismatic expressions. Mm-hmm. So Edwards tries to Edwards was instrumental that. Uh, in that, um, first great awakening, God used him and a number, number of other people, uh, but Edwards wants to look at the, what's going on and try to bring some, some biblical sense to it. So he really gets to the heart of what it means to be a Christian and in the midst of, you know, experiences, in the midst of testimonies you hear from people, in the midst of the way you under, understand scripture. And so he, it, it's, it's a, it's a really helpful book. It's not, um, just an old guy who wore, uh, powdered wig <laughs> writing random thoughts. Yeah, he just really, like on a really Tuesday right.
2: decided, you know, there's a question I need to answer. He was actually trying to deal with... like He was getting criticized from some people, because people were falling down in the midst of his church and shaking, mm-hmm. or clinging to poles, pleading with God to save them from hell, mm. while this man was like Puritan reading his sermon, right. Sinners in the Hands of Angry God. So like, you, yeah. it, it's a, something crazy is going on. And so there are people... Some of his contemporaries who were saying to him, "You need to fan this into a flame, brother. Like you, you need to make sure that you're preaching even more of this stuff so that people actually experience more of the Spirit in your setting." Okay, and so picture in your mind mm. churches today that would be like, "Yeah, man, if a little bit of a little bit of this is good, then a lot." Like the Holy Spirit, hokey uh, pokey. The Holy Spirit, hokey pokey, right? Like yeah. you, by the way, you can Google that and you can watch. Yep. that. lots of fun. The. But then the flip side, there were people who were writing him, other pastors saying, you need to squash this now, because hmm. it's obvious that God is not of God, it's of the devil. It's obvious that these experiences that these people have, these spiritual experiences that people are having are hmm. demonic. Hmm. And what's interesting the book is that he actually uh, goes in between both. <laughs> and He says, he argues against the people who are saying it's demonic by saying, really, you, you believe that if God comes and upon a person, that it's not gonna affect their body? Like, you you don't think that it's gonna affect how they feel about something, or bring tears to their eyes, or anything like mm. that? Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. What, is God just the God of a spiritual world, but not the physical world? Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, he's concerned, very concerned that these affections are fake, and it is possible for someone to, you know, manipulate their emotions in such a way, or the the to to end up coming up with something that's not not legitimate, and so he goes to the Bible, and he tries to show. Okay, here are twelve signs that that what you're experiencing is actually from God, right? And here are twelve that it's not. <laughs> mm. Yeah, right. His twelve, though. Uh, I mean, my, the three that I'm I would point out um, about you know these are signs that you're a true Christian. He includes all three of those in what he's in what he'll say, plus more. Right.
0: Cool. So, to the next question. Not so smooth a segue. No, We're just going to the next one. Sorry, no, no, no. I had it earlier, but you should have done a going, Edwards segue.
2: It. You should have figured that out. Sometimes he would walk through the woods with his wife. Speaking of wives, <laughs> I don't know, the about, I don't well, know what the is next question. Well, it is going question.
0: to talk about women.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Take that. So, <laughs> so uh,
0: the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. Over the last, I don't know. I mean, probably since the even the 19th century, you've had people trying to reread what Paul said, right? Liberals, uh, Christian liberalism back in the 19th century. Uh, but more recently, in the in the last uh, 30 or so years, you've had guys writing things about, like, the new perspective on Paul and different ways that he looks at various doctrines. Um, but one of the questions that comes up when you talk about Paul is, is what his view of women was. Mm. So... Uh, we have different texts which talk about where he he appoint or he writes who should be elders and he, he clearly talks about them being husbands. He doesn't talk about you know being a husband or a wife. He talks about an elder must be a husband of one wife. and he goes, and then other times he talks about head coverings, but then he also has times where he he talks very uh, lovingly about women who have helped him in his ministry and who have, uh, hosted him, and things like this. So uh, the questioner, uh, one of our listeners, had the question, what was the Apostle Paul's view of women? Uh, did he view them uh, in the in the ancient kind of, uh, uh, um, what, patriarchal, patriarchal way? Uh, or would it have been something more, bringing them more into equality with men? Um
1: that's As a way the to question. maybe even tie this back to the last question, in the sense of how Edwards looked at the ex, you know what was before him and then and brought Scripture to bear on it, and he made both sides, or both extremes of the of mm. the of the debate mad at him. Um, would Paul be in that same category where um, the ultra conservative? you know, overly patriarchal people, mm-hmm. he made them mad because he endorsed women and and showed that yeah. they were united with Christ and had all the same privileges mm-hmm. of being uh, one in Christ. Yeah. But then he made... He didn't go far enough for other people. So so let's play with that
2: tension. Sure. On the one hand, uh, the Apostle Paul says some, some pretty outlandish things in favor of women in his particular culture. Mm-hmm. So, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 1, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Hmm. So so he's dealing in this passage with a question from them about how they should act in the present world, because the Corinthians thought of themselves as like the angels. And so what you had is you had... Mm, uh, yes, right. You had family, like like couples, basically separate wives, leaving their husbands and not having sex with them, because they were like, we're like the angels, and angels don't have sex, and so we're in the new kingdom, and so let's just be like the angels. Mm. And so Paul's having to address this issue, and but by addressing it, he doesn't come and say shame on you ladies, you need to have sex with your husbands. Mm -hmm. Okay, he says that, he says, you know, but he also says it the flip side, he actually applies it equally to to women. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one one in Christ Jesus. So what you have is, in this passage, Paul... I mean, there's an old Jewish prayer that used to pray, oh, God, thank you that I'm not a, uh, a slave, I'm thankful that I'm not a mm. uh, Gentile, and I'm thankful I'm not a woman. Because to be a male Jewish uh, free person, free person <laughs> is to be really liked by God. Obviously, you can get close into the temple, you know, right near the Holy of Holies, you can, like you are favored by the Lord. Well, that was a prayer that Jewish people used to pray, that Jewish men used to pray. But Paul takes that prayer, and he kind of turns it on its head and says, no, 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 in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, all are one. We're all have e- we all sinners under God, and all of us have equal access to God in Christ. So, the, I mean, these are radical statements, ultimately. The fact that Jesus is speaking, for example, to the... I mean, I'm, we're dealing with Paul here, but he, feels, he speaks to the Samaritan woman. It's just a shocking, John 4. So... All throughout the New Testament you get this example these examples of of women being elevated to a the first woman to person to see Jesus after the his resurrection so, I mean, was a woman. He, he Jesus invested that 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 message to her. So on the one hand you want to say absolutely Paul was a f- early feminist. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm even happy to use that language. Yeah. On the flip side he also says some stuff when it comes to church governance and the way women and men ought to ought to uh, manage their households and how, what kinds of you know how God made uh, Christian families function, he says stuff in First Corinthians or First Corinthians yeah First Corinthians 11, and first Corinthians fourteen and First Timothy two that seem to embrace for embrace the idea that no actually God has it in His mind that men that there is a thing of male headship and that God wants. Uh, men to function, not ontological. Here, they're not. They're not better. Men are not better than women as people, as beings. Mm. But they are. They're called to function in a leadership submission kind of relationship. Mm. You find that in Galatians five, for example, mm. in the in the um, the language that's used about marriage. So I don't know. Like Kyle said, that's going to get you mad from both sides. There are people who will be like, "Wait a minute, no, women should keep their place." Although not many in this day and age. And then others who will say, "Wait a minute, doesn't Paul g- giving women more uh, freedom?" And the passages like Galatians three twenty eight mean that he's overthrowing all the systems and everything? And the answer is, well, obviously not, because he didn't he didn't employ it that way. I mm-hmm. mean, what the First Second Timothy or some of the last books that he wrote, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. in, even in those passages, in the pastoral epistles, you're finding language about how how families have functioned and how how the church should function, these sorts mm-hmm. of things. So I, what am I saying, both?
1: Yeah, key in this this discussion is to be able to distinguish role and value, uh, and role from value. So function and role in what pers- a person does is different than the worth or value that an individual possesses. Um, an analogy is the, the Trinity. So Jesus is obedient to the Father uh, by going to the cross and to face death, even the shameful death of uh, of crucifixion. So Jesus is uh, submissive to the Father when he says, not my will, but your will be done in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, but that doesn't mean that his value or worth is any different than the Father or the Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three persons, we can pray to and worship the Spirit and the Son and the Father. So they have equal value, equal worth, and equal um, all deserve worship. Father, Son, and Spirit, but they have different roles. They have different functions. So if that's true within the Trinity where you can have equal worth but different different roles— um, why wouldn't that be possible within human relationships where we're all made in God's image and have equal worth in God's eyes in that way and hopefully in each other's eyes where we see each other as image bearers of God so that equal value and equal worth but we have different roles we have different ways that we operate within within the creation that God made for us
2: you could also add, I mean add to that the the fact that the elders of a church are said to have leaders said, said to have authority over the church uh, it's not it's not even questionable mm-hmm but they don't they don't ontologically they don't have a higher value than it. so so right. say Kyle you're an elder and Paul you're a church member that you guys don't have before god different value no right one of you fulfills a function that's different than the mm-hmm. other person which is they're just different mm-hmm. functions but that does not mean that your value is somehow different
1: but our our culture we love leaders promotes men. Well, it promotes the idea that any difference is discrimination by, yeah. by definition, which is really tragic and really sad to, to say that if there's anything that's, that's, that's a distinguishing mark or, or characteristic of one person, that that means that they're necessarily valued differently than someone else. I mean, that, that, that confusion is, is tragic. You know, and the best teams – you, you apply this all over the place, right? The best te-
2: teams in the world are, are teams – there's a, actually this guy uh, played for the uh, Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers this last year, Tristan Thompson. Mm-hmm. He's a Canadian guy. Yep. So they interviewed him at the, at the end and they said, do you, like, are you frustrated that you don't get to see you know, more shots and stuff like that? He's like, no, I have a job to do. Mm-hmm. My job is important to the team. So I do my job and the team wins. I was like, dude, that's exactly right, that Tristan, I know that he doesn't get all the press LeBron James does, or yeah. Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. uh, and, and because we like scorers, and we like the guys who are, you know, whatever. But that team doesn't win without Tristan Thompson. So I'm just, everyone's got a role to play. This is what happens when you get to First Corinthians chapter uh, 12, and Paul's trying to talk about the gifts in the church. There's some gifts that people are going to say are really important, and some that people are going to say, oh, they're not as important. Paul's like, well, everybody feels, fits part of the body, and the body only functions properly if everybody's playing their part.
0: Right. So maybe that's the problem with Ethan's volleyball team. Nobody's yeah. They're, they're all What's, just do thinking, they not know their roles? What's his part? Maybe they don't part? know their roles. Yeah. His there. part is to score. Yeah. So that's it for today's podcast. So when you're out there playing beach volleyball, remember Top Gun. Reenact the scene. Go ahead. And uh, or don't. Have, and <laughs> oh, oh <we> wow. Don't. <laughs> Oh, and wow. we have the uh, we have beach volleyball courts even here on Northeast. Can we property. vote? Let's
2: just let's just all. I'm going to say some. Here's here's the out- outlandish thing I'm going to say at the end. You ready? Say it. Here it is. Keep your shirt on, men. There it is. Just keep your shirt on. Amen. Most you don't just keep your shirt on. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Have a
0: good week. We'll see you soon.